folks were going to be going, and there's some folks that will be very familiar with this morning's scripture, uh, maybe all of you, but we're going to go to Luke, and we're going to go to the seventh chapter of Luke, pop down to the 36th verse, and we'll be working through the, from the 36th to the 50th uh, verse. Now, Jesus, uh, at this point in Luke's uh, gospel, Jesus is up in Galilee preaching. And uh, they've just had a huge discussion about John the Baptist. Um, the, uh, some, some of John the Baptist's disciples have come to him and uh, come to Jesus. And John the Baptist wants to know, are you really the one? And Jesus uh, gave his answer. And... Uh, and then uh, such was the answer of Jesus that the people standing around, uh, those who had been baptized by Jesus, they were, they were pleased with that. However, the Pharisees who were listening in to this uh, dialogue, they were not pleased. Now, folks, there were about 2,000 Pharisees uh, at this time, and, and um, one of them, asked Jesus to come home uh, with him uh, for, uh, to dine, I assume, a dinner. So that's where we're going uh, to begin. This is just a story. You don't need a three-part outline um, uh, with lots of paperwork to preach this scripture. Um, it's just a great story. Verse 36, now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. All right, let's see if we can get closer to the edge without falling off. Let's set the stage here for this. The Pharisee has asked Jesus to come home with him and, uh, and recline. Now, this happens quite often, uh, especially in, in these small towns. Uh, this became, um, uh, these reclining dinners, uh, that was a popular way uh, to give somebody honor. Uh, it became kind of a, a local event. And so we need to picture this uh, Pharisee's home. That table could have been oblong. It could have been round. Uh, um, uh, but for sure, those who have been invited to dine and to listen to Jesus, they're on these couches without backs or sides and elevated probably up toward the end. Their heads were closest to the table. And their feet were definitely in the opposite direction. So 
we get that picture. Then also, there are people in this room that are not part of the select group that had been invited to dine. Uh, it wasn't the kind of situation where they, they put locks on the doors and guards out there to keep people out. It was more or less a kind of a local community event that people could come in, they would pick up news, they would pick up uh, opinions, they would pick up politics. In this case, they're going to listen to what Jesus has to say. And so you can, you can see uh, around the outskirts some folks that are not reclining. But around the table, you've got those who are reclining with Jesus with their feet away and their heads together. So, and behold, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume and behold so someone has come in there uh, this woman and she's mingling in on the outskirts she has a, a vial an alabaster vial of perfume now alabaster was kind of a marble um, material that they mined out of Egypt. And archaeologists have, have found over the years thousands of these things, these, these alabaster vials. Gobular at the bottom comes up to a, a very tiny neck, and it's sealed. And so when it, you want to use it, well, you, you just break the neck and, 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 and use it. Folks, she is a sinner. Now, that virtually means she was a prostitute. In the New Testament, when the word sinner is applied to a woman, it invariably means she was a prostitute. Now, there were men who were called sinners, but they could be sinners for any number of reasons. Maybe they were camel drivers and they had their hands on unclean things. That made them a sinner. Money lenders were sinners, according to the Pharisees. Uh, uh, the tax collectors were sinners. There were all kinds of things in the category of sinners applied to men. But when a woman in this day and age had the epithet sinner applied to her, that meant she was a prostitute. So, Jesus is reclining some other special guests, and some who have just dropped in to kind of observe. Wow. Behold. And standing behind him, at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head 
and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now, let's, let's look at this. She's come in. She has this alabaster vial full of perfume. She's learned that Jesus is going to be here. And she wants to get close to him. She brings the alabaster perfume to the room, into the building. She knows that everybody in that building knows who she is. That Pharisee certainly knew who she was and what she had done how she had made her living she knew that everybody knew that she was a prostitute but she's there anyway and when she saw Jesus reclining at the table she moves close to him and closer until finally she reaches his feet and folks, she is consumed. She is consumed with emotion. And she begins to weep almost, maybe not almost, uncontrollably. Uh, the word that has been translated wet there uh, really could be translated rain she rained tears on his feet uh, luther called that heart water she has reached jesus and she is flooding his feet with her tears she looks down those feet haven't been cleaned by the Pharisee. Now, she had her hair up. Women at this time and in this place did not go about with their hair down. Uh, there's some rabbinical literature that, that says that uh, that was grounds for divorce if the woman went outside with her hair down. But she undoes her hair and lets it fall. And she's still weeping. And she kneels down. And she's wiping the master's feet with her hair and crying. But that's not all. She's hugging him. She's, she's gripping him. Um, she's kissing him. That word translated kiss means much more than just kissing with the lips. It includes uh, a, a firm, fervent embrace. She's kissing him. She's wiping the tears from, uh, from his feet. And she's hugging his feet. The same word that's used here as she kissed Jesus' feet, is the same word that's used when um, the Bible tells us of the father of the prodigal son 
when he kissed his son. He, he was just full of joy, and he grasped and wouldn't let go. That's how this woman was acting here at Jesus' feet. She's kissing. She's uncontrollably weeping and, and using her hair now to, to wipe his feet, and she's grasping with, with a grip that she's not going to let go. Uh, an unbelievable sight for this Pharisee and everybody else in the room to view. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. The Pharisee, now we really don't know why the Pharisee invited Jesus to dine. Uh, the full fury of the Pharisees had not built up yet. Won't build up now in this in this one until about the eleventh chapter. But but they don't trust him, and, and and it's beginning to build. So the Pharisee could have invited him to try to trick him, try to gather some more uh, ammunition in their fight. At the same time, he could have been genuinely curious and interested about him. But at this point, the Pharisee says, nah, this man is no prophet. He says he's a prophet and all that. He can't be a prophet. For if he were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. Notice that he didn't make the charge that he could have, given his mindset. He could have said, and didn't, this man consorts with prostitutes. Why else would this prostitute be hugging him and kissing him in this manner? He knows her, he knows her well. He did not make that charge. No one in the New Testament makes that charge against Jesus, although he loved sinners. The most that the Pharisee can do is to say, this man can't be a sinner. I mean, this man cannot be a prophet because he's allowing that sinner to grab him and to hold him. He can't be a prophet. Jesus knows what he's thinking. And so Jesus has something to say. And Jesus answered and said to him, answer. He hadn't said anything, but Jesus answered him. Simon, by the way, there are a couple of other stories about Simon and uh, uh, having a this is not the, that the, This is not the story of Simon the leper that Jesus visited. This, this is an entirely different story. 
Simon the Pharisee. Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. Spit it out. Let me hear it. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. One owed about a year and a half's worth of pay and the other owed uh, a couple of months. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Which of them, therefore, will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose, now that could have been, that could have been uttered a couple of different ways. He could have said, kind of sarcastically, I suppose, or he could have been, well, I suppose, not wanting to get caught by Jesus. Um, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. You are right on. You're spot on. You're absolutely right. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me... No kiss. But since the time I came in, has, has not uh, caressed, she has not ceased to caress my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Now, let's understand this about this woman. The verb tense have been... Her sins have been forgiven. The woman came to the dinner saved. She came with her sins forgiven. Her sins weren't forgiven because she started crying and wiping Jesus' feet and showing love. She was showing love because she had been forgiven. Maybe out there in a crowd, she had heard Jesus and, and had uh, believed in him, but when she walked in looking for Jesus, she walked in uh, with sins having been forgiven. And so Jesus establishes that principle with the Pharisee using the woman, using the transformed life. To preach the gospel to the Pharisee and establishes the principle forgiven much you love much forgiven little maybe you love little
And he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Here this woman gets the affirmation that what she's feeling is true. And she thinks back on her life and she sees the one who forgave her and she loved much. And Jesus tells her, your sins have been forgiven. And those, yeah, they must have been, the other people must have been just dumbfounded. Those those uh, who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? Now, the word doesn't say that they doubted that the sins were forgiven. They didn't say, oh, baloney, sins forgiven. They're asking, who, who is this man that he can forgive sins? And he said to the woman, your faith saved you. Go in peace. He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Not your kissing my feet, not your hugging, not your wiping with your hair. It's your faith that you came in the room with has saved you. He who loves much has been forgiven much. You know, when God took me to this scripture, when God took me to this scripture, uh, he brought me back to it again and again and again. And I, I was going to go another way. And right back to this. And so, after the Holy Spirit spoke to me for a while on this passage, uh, I began to, to, to wonder about my love and reflect on my own life and how much God has forgiven so much. And then the converse I asked myself, well, how much are you loving, Bill? This woman was forgiven much and she loved much. How you've been forgiven much. That's true. Do you love or how are you showing your love? Now, um, Pastor Chad has pointed out earlier we're not talking about emotion here we're not talking about that that you have to you may get all weepy but it doesn't mean that you have to so how, how do i show my love well i i know that the word tells us you know love the lord your god with all your strength and with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You know, we're, okay, 
Okay, maybe I show my love not so much vertically, although that has to be. I, I couldn't live without spending time alone with Jesus. But I'm hearing if you're going to love to the extent that you should, uh, it has to be horizontal as well. That's how, Bill, you're going to show your love. You've been forgiven a lot. Now let's start showing that you love. Uh, Peter said, finally, all of you live in unity of spirit. That's how we can show love. Unity of spirit. Sympathy. That's how we can show love. Unity of spirit. Sympathy. A love of the brethren and the sisters, of course. I can love that way. I can't, and that's doable, folks. That's doable. Unity of spirit. Sympathy. Love of the brethren. A tender heart, not a hard heart, not a sarcastic heart, not a, uh, not a trifling heart. Unity of spirit, sympathy, love of the brethren, a tender heart. And you can love Bill by having a humble heart. For me... Out of this, that's what lands in my lap. You want to love because you've been forgiven much love this way. Love one another. Well, I don't know where that's going to land with you, but um, I know that every morning, when I ask the Holy Spirit to open my heart, that the Holy Spirit is going to continue to show me how to love. Show me how to love. Show me what that means. Particularly, show me in the context of the fellowship.